ora and welcome to Changing Lenses, a unique perspective on health and wellness. Our purpose is to share the nurse's story. My name is Anna Aikman and this is Changing Lenses. Welcome to the special episode of Changing Lenses called Peace in Our Times. My name is Rachel Hazelden and today I have the unique opportunity to interview Anna Aikman. Registered nurse, integrative nurse coach, change agent and humanitarian. Kia ora Anna. Multi-talented woman you are. <laughs> Kia ora Rachel. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to interview me today. My and I guess I am a person of many threads. <laughs> yes, you are. So tell me a little bit more about you and the purpose of this particular episode. Uh, well, I am a registered nurse and still work at the coalface. And um, a lot of the work uh, that I do outside that, I am very passionate about the role of empathy and how we connect with others, how we get to know each other, and compassion and kindness and culture. And um, for me at this point in time, I've been driven to uh, do this special episode because I just wanted to share a nurse's voice and some of my um, I guess my feelings around what has happened on uh, March the 15th. Mm, absolutely. And nurses were very involved in what happened. Yeah. And you've written an extraordinary piece called Peace in Our Times. Uh, what inspired you to write that? I um, Sometimes things just kind of hit in the heart. And it's amazing in those moments how creative you can be. And so it's like words come from another place. And so in this moment, as I'm feeling so many feelings around what happened uh, with the shootings here in Christchurch on Friday the 15th, and I'm reeling from the effect of that, and then I'm wondering how everyone else here is. And so this piece, Peace in Our Times, came out from somewhere and I wrote this and it really encapsulated how I felt about things in that moment. Mm -hmm. And tell me, you're based in Timaru. Mm -hmm. uh, were you in Christchurch at that time or what's the impact been on you? On that particular day, I was working in intensive care and we do 12-hour shifts there, from, so from 7 in the morning till half past 7 at night. And um, we'd kind of got a message that something was actually um, happening here in Christchurch that was a critical event. And often um, Christchurch will use us as a secondary um, point of contact for um, patients or for casualties. And uh, although we were not needed at that time because Christchurch um, Hospital managed extremely well under so much duress and, I guess, moral distress, but extreme, uh, managed extremely well, so we weren't required. But um, the news came through on within probably five or ten minutes for all of our staff in various forms that there had been some sort of shootings. And then as we started to see the news, turned on the TV and then watched the news, whew, it was like that sharp intake of breath and thinking, is this real? Is this what we're seeing? Is this what's happening in New Zealand? And how do I play a part in this? Or do I have a part in this? And uh, 
I remember feeling very affected by this because I see in global terms that's just who I am. And I just saw the, thought the impact on our Muslim communities in Christchurch and around the country and around the world about the people who are um, the first responders and the police who are involved in this, and then for New Zealand at large, and what does it mean for us in this very connected global world? So I had lots of feelings going through me at that time, and really it was that um, shock and horror, but also an awareness around actually the work that I do and empathy and compassion and how we connect with each other it was really, really important. And I actually have to need, to, I, I felt that I really need to make my voice really strong in this. And uh, there's no time to waste because we have to really utilise this um, time in the post-aftermath to really make some positive changes that will go into effect and that will be actioned. And I believe that we can do that um, in some very simple ways that can help change the trajectory of where our possible nation may go in the future. Hmm. I can hear your deep thinking about what's happened. Uh, And I can hear um, you looking at it in a complex way and in many layered ways. And just wondered if, I mean, I know they'll all weave together, but I wonder if we can break it down a little bit. Um, So you are a Māori New Zealander. Mm -hmm. uh, And um, how do you, uh, your tangata whenua, how do you relate to what happened from that aspect of yourself? Yes, uh, Rachel. um, You know, I think that what happened is that you become very aware of who you are and your own culture. And so, yes, I am Nati Manipoto and um, from Scottish descent. And um, being Māori and being Indigenous from this country, I guess brings up the stories of things that have that first point of contact mm. and trauma that's caused through that first <coughs> point of contact and then onwards and then into intergenerational uh, trauma and then into vicarious trauma. And so I, I guess I saw m- myself, and it's interesting because, actually it's very interesting because as all this is going, as I'm still being my intensive care nurse, I'm actually thinking, and I hadn't thought about this before, But I'm actually thinking about other people. I wasn't actually thinking about myself, but I was definitely thinking about my Indigenous culture Mm. and how what that means for us again, um, having gone through um, points in history which um, have been... uh, have been very difficult for mm. our ancestors to deal with. Well, I was, was going to, the word that came to mind is violent. Yes. There's been violence. Yes, yes. so there has been violence. And, um, and, and how you move on from that, and yet there are still those subtle, subtle cues of maybe you're not good enough or, or maybe you're just Māori. Um, what does that mean, actually, in context? And that's that generalisation that can be very, very dangerous for all marginal, uh, marginalised communities. Mm. But it's interesting because I thought about the Māori community and how they'll be feeling in this. And um, 
Well, it was really beautiful, and if it's okay, I'd like to share an experience that mm, that's just happened just now. So, prior to coming here, so I've been I live in rural South Canterbury, and um, I have felt very deeply touched and deeply saddened um, by this uh, horrific event. And you're right, it is in absolutely many layers. And so um, last time we had, you know, a major trauma here was in uh, 2011 with the earthquake. And so Christchurch has already been deeply traumatised and still that underlying trauma still is there. So um, we've got another layer on top of that, which makes it even more violent. And however, I believe that there is um, there are positive things that will come out of this, out of both things. Mm. So if I look at uh, where I was with the earthquakes and uh, the second earthquake, so that February the 22nd in 2011, and I remember it very vividly because I was flying out of the country to Taiwan and I had a conference in Taiwan, hadn't been to Taipei before. So I got to Auckland and I'm there um, in lying in my business class uh, couch, sleeping, and I'm none the wiser as to what I had just left in Christchurch. And that morning I had stayed with a friend in Christchurch and I was driving through, um, the taxi was taking me to the airport, and um, as I'm looking around through the main streets here in Christchurch, Ototahi, um I thought, oh my gosh, this is the earthquake that happened in September. I haven't seen it. So I'm seeing this at six o'clock in the morning. So there I am on the plane and I arrive in Taiwan and I, I like to stay in little guest places and little local places so I can get to know people. And I stayed in this little place and I turned on the TV and I could not believe my eyes because this happened almost the moment that I left New Zealand. And that impacted me greatly and I thought at the time... I feel really helpless here. I'm a nurse and I could be helping at that front line. Um, it's really surreal, but I, all this is familiar to me. I know these names. I know these people. I'm seeing this I'm seeing this horrific um, earthquake unfold in front of my eyes, but I'm hamstrung and I can't do anything. So um, that brought me to today, and I'm thinking about that today because... This time, when this happened, as I'm in ICU and I'm and I'm there with huge layers of thoughts and a thinking and um, saying to myself, this time it needs to be my voice and I need to make a difference. And I don't know what that will look like, but I believe that this time I can actually do something to help. And that was very strong. So I, when I drove up today from Timaru, I knew for me... I had to make my own kind of acknowledgement to uh, the Christchurch, the main Christchurch mosque. And um, after this, I'm going to go to the Linwood Mosque as well. So I needed for me, it wasn't for anyone else, it was for me, just to go there. And so when I drove around Hagley Park and past the hospital, which I go to all the time mm. because I'm often transferring patients from South Canterbury up here, as I drive past there and I go to the mosque and there's this car parks, very difficult to get car parks here but there was this car park waiting for me so near that I could just walk down and then I saw all these flowers and I had watched the news intently over those first few days and the outpouring of generosity and an incredible love and and also despair that came through those initial days and all those questions that kind of came with it mm. 
And so when I went there and I saw these flowers that have been lovingly placed and words that have been really thoughtfully composed, pictures, farewells, uh, messages of hope and strength, flowers that are starting to wither, fresh flowers that are still there, it brought tears to my eyes, and um, for me it was really important just to get that sense of feeling and also that I could say in my own way, you know, we pray for um, for all and for the hope, uh, for the global hope that we will have a much better world um, through this. But we do have to take that seriously. And then as I was, um, and I spent quite a bit of time there, probably 45 minutes or so, maybe a little bit longer, It's really amazing how quickly time goes when you're really concentrating on the moment and you're seeing everything around you. Mm. And from above the wall, I could see the turret of the mosque and then the round dome. And that's all I could see. I could see some things through uh, the gate and people still there. And so there were various people coming through and there were school, um, probably senior school staff that I saw that were also acknowledging Um, in their own way, uh, what had happened. And then across in the park, a lot of the flowers had been placed around the trees. And I remember John, I think it was John Campbell, saying something about there was a a guy, a guy, an ordinary guy, and I think he might have been a road worker, that lovingly moved all the flowers away from the road and placed the teddy bear upright and placed them so lovingly. And Mm. to... Feel that from that depth. I remember being very moved at that time. So it was really important for me to come to the come today and come before we actually had this interview, mm. so I could bring my own story about my feeling, mm. I guess, upfront and personal. Mm. And then as I'm walking away, this man, this really beautiful man, a little bit shorter than me, in grey, um, grey long tunic top and grey pants with a, a beard and uh, he was just coming out of his car and we smiled at each other and I saw these beautiful eyes of, from the soul and so we talked and, um, and he was from Australia and uh, he said as we talked about um, you know the purpose of who we are as Muslim communities, is about getting to know people. And I thought, that's so what I'm about, is about breaking those barriers just by getting to know people. Mm. It's the one easy thing that we can do to actually help us um, heal through this uh, tragedy of tragedies. And unprecedented, this type of tragedy, unprecedented in this time um, for us. So I was very, I thought, well, you know, here, this really um, very openly loving man uh, coming to support, from Australia, to support the Muslim community here with beautiful words. And uh, so I was very humbled by that, and I am most grateful for that little interaction at that time. There were two policemen also guarding each side of the mosque at either side of the flowers, and they rotated in the time that I was actually there, and they had all they had come from the North Island to support the local crew. And while I'm actually speaking to that, what I need to say is that I'm most grateful for the police that we have in this country, for the police that were um, on duty that day, who went over and above 
um, what they would normally do in their normal day of work to actually keep our community safe and how they did it with such calmness and aplomb really, and I use that word specifically, um, and dignity to actually keep everyone safe. And I felt that that was really remarkable watching from the TV and ICU mm. and intensive mm. care. And when I, so I gave my <coughs> acknowledgement to the four policemen mm. that had been there and said, thank you very much and hope that your families are well. And um, they're saying, you know, it's the least that we can do. And on my last, the last one was a young policeman. And he said, we feel very humbled by this. And I said to him, you know, oh, it's, you know, it's hard for us as Kiwis to see the guns and things. And he said, yes. And he said, we try to be very discreet about that. And I thought, um, you know, that's about mindfulness, being really mindful about how your presence is in a time of great tragedy. And I thought, there again, it's about getting to know people and it's about mindful presence of others. Mm. Beautifully put. Absolutely about mindfulness. There's a tragedy, without doubt, that has happened and we have the opportunity, moment by moment, to be mindful. Mm. And all those ways that you shared your story, um, the Muslim man you interacted, you got to know a little bit, like I'm making an assumption that you're not Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a Pākehā Kiwi woman, mm. I'm not Muslim. Um, but I've learned more about the Muslim community. Um, even though I've travelled to Muslim countries, I've got to know about the Muslim community and my community in a way out of this tragedy. And there are people um, in New Zealand and overseas that don't feel they have a police force that they can go to. Mm. The police force don't keep them safe. Mm. There's corruption. Mm. They can't know that the police are keeping them safe. Mm. But that mindfulness too, I, I was in lockdown in Rickerton Mall on Friday afternoon and I was left with, they're doing it to keep me safe. It may not mm. be convenient, mm. but um, it's being done to keep me safe mm. and that people can do their job. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I, you know, when we look at those frontline responders, the police, so I'm watching, watching them through, um, through the TV screen, um, the police frontline nurses mm. um, and the docs and everyone who are around in the ambos and I know that there'll be more that I haven't mentioned that um, will have been involved in this. It's those first uh, responders and the way that they have acted in this I guess fearful time and unknowing because it's, it's, it's not in our experience mm. and in our lived experience so um, I really, really am so grateful that I am a Māori, that I also have a Scottish heritage in me, that I am a Kiwi woman, that I am a mother, that I am a nurse, and that I am a humanitarian. And um, I believe this is the time that we need to be very human. Mm. It's not about political agendas Mm. or anyone else's agenda. Mm. This is about human beings coming together in the best way that we can. Mm. And what I've seen in a level I haven't seen before, I mean, we think we're similar age. Um, I'm in my 40s. Um, I grew up in the South Island. Uh, I've not seen the coming together of such diverse groups. Mm. I've not seen gangs come out 
mm. and do haka mm. or um, offer protection, mm. um, work alongside police. Mm. I, I've not seen that in New Zealand before. Mm. Mm. And I think that's also, you know, what does it say about who we are as a country? Mm. Even though we might have some of these divisions around us, what does it say when we actually, when we actually need it, mm. that everyone's up there? And the mm. other, actually, there was another little story from today. So I'm in my car thinking about um, the impact that this uh, young Muslim man has and what he shared with me about um, um, Islam as well, which is very beautiful and very mindful. And um, I'm sitting there in my car and I'm just thinking about um, how I might share that story. But I didn't get very far in that because I saw in front of me a car parked. Someone had just left. And So to understand car parks, you can't get car parks around there. But this car went out and this other car came in. And then out of that car came two guys dressed in black, two Māori guys, beautifully dressed, had a, um, had a black jacket and insignia on their back. And... Um, uh, not gang insignia, but mm. beautiful insignia on on their bag about um, precious people in mm. Māori, and that's the way that I read it. And so they got out of the car, to them, they put their jackets on, they were looking very dignified. And so I could tell they had come to pay their blessings and their acknowledgements as well. So mm. you're absolutely right, has brought together all people mm. um, together. And that's the thing about, you know, he tangata, he tangata, he tangata. It is about the people. Mm. And this is about people coming together. Mm. And that's how we create a mm. much better, diverse mm. and celebratory world. So as I'm sitting in the truck and I'm watching this, the stranger goes past. Parker guy comes past with his hat on and he stops. He purposely stops in front of these two guys turns around and shakes their hands and they speak. Now that in itself also shows what people are doing. We're starting to communicate with each mm. other mm. at this time and long may mm. it continue. Mm. Absolutely. Going back to those layers, it sounded like your first response was a professional response mm. um, because uh, you had your nursing hat on. Mm. Um, you knew what had been ha- would be happening in the Christchurch mm hospital um, and there's also your response um, as a woman as a Māori woman as a humanitarian as a world traveller mm. um, I, I know that's what you're committed to um, the best for humanity mm. Yeah. is there anything else that is present for you about what you wrote and what you about peace and listening mm. and coming together uh, so I am, in, uh, I am first and foremost a humanitarian, and when you see that in other people, and when you see that in the Prime Minister, uh, Jacinda Ardern, um, you know that we have possibility, and you know that we have opportunity. And as I said earlier, it's not about political agendas, but I think and I feel very deeply that... Um, Our Prime Minister, who is young, who is a mum herself, a new mum herself, who has taken on the shoulders of this country, Aotearoa, the land of the long white cloud, and she has taken this mantle and the way that she carried herself with incredible mana uh, through this, 
uh, I think I feel that probably the majority of um, Kiwis are very proud to be in New Zealand at this time. Mm. And there was no political agenda with it, and it came with empathy. And she has spoken before at the United Nations about the importance of empathy and kindness. And people may think that this is just kind of a glib kind of, a couple of words, a couple of values that you throw in for the tick box. However, this was not tick box material. This was very genuine, very authentic. And that's what I believe people felt. Mm. So you can feel when the empathy is real. You can feel when the kindness is real. But you have to connect in meaningful ways. Mm. And that means you have to be present in a way that you listen deeply. Mm. You don't interrupt. You don't offer major advice. You just let the person be a witness. And in order to be a witness, you need to have done previously that whole thing on self-reflection and how do I sit in this? How do I carry myself in a day-to-day manner? But how do I carry myself in this um, unprecedented time, in this unprecedented time here in Christchurch and for New Zealand? So um, for me, my first response, yes, was as a nurse. Um, But deeper than that, it was more for the work that I do that I'm passionate about. And um, I um, have spoken before about the importance of uh, empathy, compassion, how we get to know each other, connectedness, culture and kindness in nursing before, and being a, a highly experienced nurse, I have seen things in my life that... I believe, is of high value. And what I have seen over time is the disintegrating of the empathy, is the disintegrating of the compassion. And um, I believe in value-based leadership, and what I saw was a prime example of uh, value-based leadership in Jacinda Ardern. Mm. And... uh, that is my passion, is to grow that, is to grow that within our nursing, because I think we've come off, we've come off our foundations, and uh, we are very much a tick box society, but we're actually about people, we're about the dynamics of human beings, and if we are, if we sit in those moments and we are human beings, my gosh, there's a wealth and plethora of knowledge that we can utilise to help uh, heal our world and help Uh, create meaningful and thought-provoking conversations. Mm. And the answers are there. The answers are there. So they're not top-down driven. Mm -hmm. But as you said with Jacinda Ardern, she had genuine empathy, compassion, kindness, which she'd been talking about before Mm. the shootings happened. Mm. Then that happened, she role-modelled that. Um, She changed her plans. She got on the plane. She came. She was present. Um, she sat with people, Mm. she listened deeply, Mm. she looked people in the eye, Mm. she hugged, Mm. um, she covered her head in a sign of respect. Mm -hmm. Um, And I heard in the kind of, when she spoke to the country and spoke to the media, I heard that kind of, but what do other people think and what, what about overseas and what, you know, and she's like, we'll keep you informed, we will keep you informed but I'm being guided by our Muslim community. Um, My duty of care, she used the term duty of care. And so things came out of the Muslim community and the love 
in Christchurch and around New Zealand. Um, it wasn't a declaration mm. um, saying that there was a, we're changing gun laws. Mm. Um, so there was a empathy, compassion, listening, and leadership, direction, purpose, mm. action. Mm. And, uh, you know, to actually sit in that moment and hold the moment um, is a really powerful way to engage in people and not be distracted by things on the exterior that don't need to be addressed right at this point in time. Mm. So in those moments, you have to be really clearly focused. The uh, What I was going to say is that um, my work has been... I've been speaking this language for some time now, so and I do this outside my nursing because I found that um, maybe some of the things I was saying wasn't being valued, and uh, and so I knew that for this year I really had to raise my voice because I know how important this is. As nurses, we um, we deal with trauma every single day. We work twenty four hours around the clock. And um, we can experience vicarious trauma as well. So are we... Say say more what you mean by vicarious trauma. Um, So, for example, I'll take the example of what was happening in ICU for me, for example. Mm. So you have the trauma up front and personal, and those are the people (coughs) that are directly involved in the tragedy. But everyone else who feels those ripples of those trage- of that tragedy and could say, oh, my gosh, that could have been me walking past. Oh, my gosh, I had just um, my family. It could have been my family in the North Island. It could have been some- somewhere else. Oh, And so people will translate that in a way that affects them personally. So in a way, you're affected by this major trauma but it translates into another type of trauma for you. Mm. So when I was nursing in that ICU ward, uh, intensive care unit, on Friday the 15th, and uh, we're all just doing, because we're busy dealing with trauma. So also, in a way, hearing the news was like that vicarious trauma Mm. layered upon the trauma that we're already dealing with. Mm. And then no opportunity to debrief. And I believe in nursing that we don't do that very well because it's really important to have those moments of presence where we can just kind of share our stories. But we go from one trauma to another trauma to another trauma. So that if you imagine that you then have this other trauma coming from another place. Mm. So this is coming through the TV, this is coming through people's phones, uh, coming through the radio, then um, it becomes another Mm. type of trauma. Mm. And so when we are traumatised, the, you know, if we think about neuroscience, for example, when we are traumatised, the brain won't function in um, optimal ways. So our executive thinking will go, our high levels of thinking will go, and with that comes... um, Rumination, mm. uh, deep sadness, anger, grief process. You know, all, we're in a grief process. All the things that lead to burnout. Yes, yeah. and all the things that do lead mm. to burnout, mm. absolutely. So compassion fatigue yes. uh, can occur. Now, you mentioned about duty of care, and it's interesting because I was going to speak about duty of care. So as nurses, we have a duty of care to our patients. But I also believe that the people who are in our higher management levels need to have a duty of care to the frontline staff. Mm. 
And I was deeply saddened that I felt that that could have been done better for all. But I guess I come from that space, so I can see that. I, I, when you, so I'm really probably, you know, a seeker of knowledge. And so I always like to read lots of different things that give me different ways of thought. Mm. And I love to have really great conversations with my friends or my family, my children particularly, because they make me think in a different way. And that is so valuable on how we see the world. And um, and to remove, you know, to try and remove judgment hats and generalizations that we make that we probably... Um, Learned over time, and it becomes second uh, second nature. Mm. So um, I I see things from a viewpoint of empathy, and as I said, you no, know, from being human, from the dynamics of human. I've seen life and death in its worst and most tragic. I've seen it also in its you know in beautiful celebrations. Mm. People heal as well. It's glory. Yes. So um, value-based leadership means that you must have all those tools in your toolbox and you must continue to seek, not look at a pinhead on a pin, yet we should be looking at that whole sphere and that Mm. whole to get a real sense of actually what's happening around the place. Um, Often, you know, but people are driven because we're driven by um, lack of resources because we are so busy. We're busy, 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 but it is... It's, you know, it's, um, it's a kind of a nemesis, really, you know. Uh, it's that rod that will kind of make us unwell. And so there's a lot of work around self-care. Uh, but going back to duty of care, I believe that all of those that are involved, now it doesn't matter whether you're the cleaner or whether you're the nurse or whether you're the orderly or whether you are management, but particularly management and high management, it is really, really important that that empathy is shown Mm. everywhere. Mm. And in the days that follow, (coughs) that continue. And um, emails won't do it. Mm. Um, Texts won't do it. You have to front up and you have to be present. Mm. As uncomfortable as that may be, you have to be. And that's what value-based leadership is about, that I believe. And that's what Jacinda Ardern did. Mm. So, um, you know, we are in unprecedented times and it does bring up a lot of questions and a lot of self-reflection. And in order to be a really remarkable leader that can carry dignity and mana, you also need to actually be aware of your own vulnerabilities. You need to really do some deep work on self. So I work in in helping people develop um Part of what I do also, sorry, I got I digressed there for a wee minute, oh. is that I also in my business, um, AnnaAikman.com, so in my business, um, I work to help empower women primarily. I started off with, so I had a travel company to help women get out of their comfort zone so that they could become the best that they could be in their lives and change the conversations around their tables. Mm. And that's what was my initial, um, um, my initial purpose. But that has now grown. And I really wanted, I went to the States and I became an integrative nurse coach, which looks at deep listening. It looks at how we nurse in a holistic way and in very meaningful ways. And that's what Florence Nightingale did. And she was such a visionary, um, such a visionary uh, and uh, an incredible role model for the future. And so I think we need to learn that um, we need to become more than a sum of our parts. We need to actually start to really use critical thought 
of who we are as nurses and mm. to question things. Mm. And let's get this right. Let's not just try and and bring in another company who says we should do that if we haven't asked the front line mm. what is really valuable, yeah. you know, yeah. because frontline people know how yeah. things work. And that in itself creates value for individuals who are there and feeling part of um, feeling that their contribution is actually worthwhile. And I'm really mm. passionate about that. And so my business evolves around telling that story, sharing, but also obviously putting in tools that can help people become uh, better leaders and uh, underpinned by values such as empathy and compassion and how we connect with others. And if we look at foundations, so I talk about foundations and the posts, so the posts that hold up everything else above, if that's on quicksand, it will never, ever succeed. So it, to me, it must be based on values. Mm. First and foremost, mm. and if that is not right, it doesn't matter what else we try after that, sustained um, sustained healthy pathways mm. will not be uh, mm. will not occur. Mm. So we've got to be clear about our values first mm. and build actions and policy and pathways from those values. I believe. Yep. And the values have to come from the people at that front line yep. who are, who you need to have. For me, for me, you know, it's also about stories. Story is such a powerful thing. So narrative. If you listen to someone's stories, then you can understand, actually, now I see how A fits to B, mm. fits to C, fits mm. to D, and I can see now how that fits in the whole circle. Mm. And what a great manager you are when you can do that. Mm. But you have to put yourself out to hear those stories. You've also got to hear things that may be um, may be uh, critical, but they're important to hear, because when you embrace those things, then you have much um, healthier working relationships, and we'll have much healthier communities. So I believe at this time we need to really, as this young uh, Muslim man shared with me today, which I knew resonated with me, such synchronicity that getting to know each other mm. genuinely and authentically mm. is a prime um, is what we need to do now. Mm. is the key thing. Mm. Before we do anything else, it's what we do in our daily lives. And obviously mm. there's a lot more, there's a, obviously there's a lot of other things that need to happen, but we need to get that core right, mm. that core. Mm. Mm. And starting with listening and connection, mm. hearing each other's stories, mm. we also have our dark side. Mm-hmm. We also have our community that doesn't want change, that mm-hmm. doesn't want difference, mm-hmm. that feels threatened by mm-hmm. uh, diversity, mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't want other cultures, mm-hmm. uh, that we have racism mm-hmm. in our community, mm-hmm. that we need to look at that, mm-hmm. look within mm-hmm. as well. So my work is called Change From Within. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because <laughs> we have to look at the self first and we have to expose our vulnerabilities. So a couple of things um, in relation to that is um, what um, these uh, shootings did is that I feel, now I feel, so I can only say I feel in my perspective that every other marginalised group would have felt it for the fear. They would have felt, oh, is this my group next that's going to be, you know, targeted. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is that New Zealand has always been a she'll be right kind of country. And I think this is the time that we need to take those glasses off. I think we've got amazing people in this country mm. at the same time. But I think sometimes we kind of normalise things that maybe shouldn't be normalised. And I, a person shared an example with me yesterday and um 
at school and um, this young girl of um, Asian origin who had just come to the country was sitting in her chair in class and um, a boy behind her is kicking it, kicking it because of who she is and it continues and continues. So um, therein lies, we've got to really nip things in Mm. the bud. And if Mm. we look at the longitudinal study from Otago, so it looked at... um, you know, how many years is it going now? 42 or 43 years, maybe. But I remember when I watched that documentary sometime last year is that we used to always say, you know, show me the boy of seven or show me the person of seven, I'll show you the man. Now now they know that around the age of three, mm-hmm. that is now being very clear. So it's really, really important, the role of nurses and educators, um, health professionals, and others in the community who see these things, that we don't normalise that behaviour. Mm-hmm. So, for example, that young boy who was kicking that chair, now wh- wh- why, where did he even start that conversation to kick the chair? But sometimes kids will be kids, and it, sometimes it doesn't have to come from a point. But mm-hmm. if you allow that to happen, then other children will, continue, will do that. Mm-hmm. So we have to nip that in the bud. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it can't be seen, but you have to be able to see the signs of um, see the signs of changes in personality of children who are being bullied, and that really is about bullying because that's where it then goes to. Um, uh, and also, um, we have to be really mindful in the work that we do, and this is where resources are really important because you've got it's almost like you've got to have someone in the back of the room, or you've got to have that vision of back of the room, or you or you can see everyone. So if someone's doing something, that you can pull it up to make it not okay for everyone else. So by subtle, uh, by subtle um, non-acknowledgement of it, we're actually saying yes, it's okay to do. And um, I'm. The Tipping Point was written by Morris Gladwell. He was in a New York... Malcolm, thank you very much. Thank you very much. So um, in that book, as you'll be aware, he talked about the stages of change. And stages of change only occur through key personalities, not a mass. They uh, they occur through very few people. But if you harness that energy together, then you can change things dramatically. And so uh, he talked about the broken window theory theory also. So if you leave the graffiti, um, New York at that particular time he was writing about was... uh, very crime-ridden, and it's changed dramatically. Quite an incredible city. Um, but, you know, there's always undercurrents of things, and we still have to nip those things in the bud to kind of continue to grow as healthy, um, diverse uh, nations. So he talked about that if you leave the graffiti and you leave uh, broken windows, even just for a day, it gives permission, invisible permission for anyone else to do that. And then when you have all your trains covered in graffiti and all your windows broken, then no one wants to deal with it because it's too much work. Mm. So um, I think I think that book for me was really poignant because uh, it talks about leadership, it talks about how we can implement positive change. And I believe in this country that we can do that, but we also have to have be honest with ourselves, be honest with our own fear and say, but actually say hello to people and actually know that it's actually it's okay. Mm. You also spoke about people on the edges who may not want to be involved in this particular conversation. Absolutely, and there'll always be the light and the shade and the dark, the black and the white um, uh, uh, shades of ideas. So what I know as a nurse coach is that you find those who are willing. Mm. 
Mm. You'll find those that are willing to embrace and you create a groundswell Mm. and you make people feel valued and you help them grow in ways that they can stand in their own confidence and their and in their own well-being, irrespective of their culture or um, their beliefs. And as long as it is done with good intention, mm-hmm. then we have, um, as I said, we have remarkable possibilities and opportunities. And I really believe this. And it was described, you know, as our darkest day and um, in this time. However, Leonard Cohen also talks about in his beautiful poems and his poems um, set to music is that, you know, the crack, the light always comes through the crack. So mm. let's create that, um, those opportunities for lots of light and sunshine to come through. Mm. But we have to be brave and we have mm. to voice up and we have to support those others that are unable to voice it. Mm. Mm. And there's been a crack and it's like, what are we going to do? Mm shine through mm. what are we going to create mm. absolutely you know don't be scared um, it's okay to question the status quo when we don't question it things become normalised it shouldn't be I think if we go ahead with a human heart mm. um, and look about other and as I said you know, my first response wasn't for me had I been in that situation directly it would have been for my family directly mm. although I thought about my family in that moment but it was really for this whole community for this whole way of being for this whole New Zealand mm. you know I really felt that and so I believe that when this is a time of great deep reflection and it needs to be deep reflection. It needs to be in conversation. Mm. And it needs to, we need to question the status quo mm. in a way that, that will ha- promote critical thought and critical thinking. And I don't know how much we actually value that within some of the arenas work with. I know that academics, absolutely, um, because it's the way that we can see the world through different eyes. So we need to bring that into our everyday conversations. Mm. And we need to be able to speak our thought, but also have the ability to be able to kind of move and change if we understand that maybe the way we think isn't quite, isn't quite what maybe other people think. Maybe we're a bit too rigid. How can we actually fix that rigidity? Mm. Mm. So um, that self-reflection, self-assessment, self-awareness. But there is work that you have to do on that, specific work that you have to do, do on that. Being, up, being mindful. So when we go to a supermarket, let's uh, not push in front of somebody. Don't let your children push in front of somebody, you know. And I believe it's in old manners, you know. It's in those gracious manners make us dignified people. Mm-hmm. It's not to show off. Mm. It's actually to give, um, to be mindful of people and mindful of others. And if we do that, look what a thank you does to people. Mm. A simple thank you, you mm. know. Mm. And I believe also that people know when you really speak the truth from heart, They may not know the lies that are spoken sometimes and elsewhere, but if you speak from a place of absolute truth, people feel that. And I believe that that's what Jacinda Ardern did, is that people may not be able to articulate it that way, but I I have often spoken about that when someone speaks the truth, something changes in our consciousness that opens us up to Mm. something else. Mm. And often that is beyond words. Yeah. And the words can be healing and they can create something new. 
And just to add from a mental health perspective, when you said, don't be fearful, I'd add, even if you are fearful, you can act and we're not alone. Reach out, get the yes. support. Yes. Um, I know what triggered for me was feeling alone and isolated. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of reaching out. Mm. Um, absolutely, Rachel. And uh, that, um, you know, you don't have to hold this all to yourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and grief is a very trying process, and particularly when it's been trauma and trauma, or even if it, whether it's only a first point of trauma. Um, you know, please uh, reach out to those that you can trust around you. Again, trusting, trusting relationships helps the healing uh, helps the healing process so reach out you know there are lots of groups now available um, it could be a neighbor it could be a stranger it could be a mentor it could be the mental health team it could be you know our um, free phone lines and there is help help around and if you're not sure where to ask help ask someone else to actually help you and so I guess that comes back to me so how can I help you know that has been my question what do I do and how do I help so as this whole thing unfolds, I'm really aware that trauma really starts to set in after things start to settle. And that's when people become at their most vulnerable. And so this takes work. This is not a one week or two week or a few months. This takes years, as the Christchurch community is well aware of uh, post the 2011 earthquakes. So... Um, reach out but what I would like to be able to do is offer my services pro bono to be able to help have conversations around sharing story and what that might look like for you and to be a witness so I feel that those things are um, what I can offer from a very heartfelt space and I would be honoured to help anyone or share your story or write your story, anything. And even in creative ways, find a creative space because that helps us in our healing way as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, Anna. It's been a joy having this conversation with you. Thank you for standing and speaking and sharing your voice with us. And we're going to finish with song Back Where We Belong by Moana and the Moa Hunters. What inspired you, this beautiful song? So I just spoke about creativity and I love music. And I think we all love music because it takes us to another place. And so the song by Moana and the uh, Moor Hunters, uh, Back Where We Belong, really talks to our brothers and sisters around the world uh, from a very heartfelt place. And I would like you just to sit and listen and see how it is uh, for you. So thank you very much, Rachel. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, for me to share my story in this time, peace in our times, and let there be peace in our times. And um, we can go forward in opportunity and uh, possibilities. And let's get to know each other and say hi. Thanks, Anna.
Thank you for joining us. We look forward to your feedback. You can supply feedback on Anna at AnnaAikman.com. That's A-N-A-H at Anna, A-N-A-H, Aikman, A-I-K-M-A-N.com. Changing Lenses, a unique perspective is available on podcast on planesfm.org.nz. Type in Changing Lenses. Kakite anō. Until next time, go well, be well, and travel well. This is Anna Aikman, and you have been listening to Changing Lenses. This is called Peace in Our Times. Tēnā koutou e nā rangatira mai tēnei wā rawa. It is with the greatest respect that I greet you all in this unprecedented time of deep sadness. It is a time of great change for us in Aotearoa, New Zealand, as our country is rocked by the mass shootings on March the 15th at the peaceful Christchurch mosques. This assault has deeply impacted our Kiwi communities and global citizens on the most human of levels through spirit, mind and body. Our psyche has been disrupted, our foundations knocked out of alignment, put off balance, fractured. There has been an incredible outpouring of love and generosity from Kiwis towards our Muslim communities, not only locally but also on a global scale. It stresses to me that we have an incredible nation here at the bottom of the world with a remarkable young and empathetic leader in our Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern. She embodies the concept of value-based leadership and emphasises the crucial importance of empathy and connectedness. Jacinda demonstrates to the world that we as a nation value who we are. It is evident that her words and actions come from a place of deep humility and genuine concern for humanity. This is not a time for political agendas. It is a time for redesigned conversations and empowering possibilities, for old ideas to be revisited, reheard and reflected upon. We have an extraordinary opportunity during this recovery period to find collaborative solutions that will benefit our communities in unique and positive ways. We must be aware and we must be mindful. The reality is that New Zealand will never be the same again. Across the globe, the seed of negative rhetoric is growing and becoming normalised, creating a space where respect and understanding for others is being pushed aside and ignored. The active and often subtle marginalisation of people through words, actions and policies is where fear is fuelled. The mass shooting has caused direct harm and trauma to our peaceful Muslim communities. Oftentimes, these communities already come from a background of trauma and war that is intergenerational and multifaceted. It has saddened my spirit deeply and the question arises, what can I do? What can we do? Vicarious trauma is seen everywhere as an outpouring of grief ripples through our country and around the world. It is time to address the core of who we are, to reflect on our daily lives and how we may be impacting negatively on others. Taking the time to understand and get to know people is what helps to demystify the concept of other. We have more in common than we know. Through self-assessment, self-reflection and self-awareness, we can create change from within. 
turning our viewpoint inwards and facing our own ways of being is a very challenging task because it opens up our vulnerabilities. We must ask ourselves how our presence affects others when we walk into a room, what our first point of contact looks and feels like, are we being welcoming or dismissive, inclusive or exclusive. As nurses, we are in a prime position to embrace diversity and celebrate uniqueness. Florence Nightingale epitomised health innovation with her visionary foresight. She believed that nurses had the extraordinary ability to become agents of global change. Nurses have the capacity to be voices of human caring, reason and hope for communities across the globe. By reshaping our worldview through self-assessment, presence, deep listening and a genuine curiosity to connect with others in meaningful ways, a higher level of understanding, tolerance and trust is ultimately gained. Now is a time for personal questions and deep reflections. Celebrating and sharing in empathy, compassion, connectedness, culture and kindness is my passion and hope for a better world. Let's become more curious about the world around us. Let's begin to change our lenses to see the world from different points of view. Let's harness this outpouring of love for humankind and become a more mindful, connected and inclusive Aotearoa New Zealand. Katuku, aroha kia koutou, nga mihi nui rawa. Aroha nui ana. <laughs>